they service, they do busy work, and then they hope that their efforts of having past client events or flyers, all this outreach, they hope that the phone rings. Hope is not a plan. Welcome to the Grant Wise Show. This podcast helps ordinary real estate agents build extraordinary companies. Let's grow in three, two, Hey guys, welcome back to the Grant Wise Show. Excited for you to hear from our guest today. I have had the pleasure of getting to work with the one and only Mrs. Tina Call. Tina is got an amazing real estate team, the Call Group, who is top five team at EXP by volume and transactions. She has just built something absolutely phenomenal. And she, as a human being, is just absolutely phenomenal. So I'm excited for you to hear her story today. Tina, thank you so much for spending some time with me. Thanks for having me, Grant. I'm excited to be here. Give us the story. The, obviously, we, we talked a little bit at the shows about helping ordinary people build extraordinary companies. And you know, we look at you today, your top five team at one of the largest real estate companies in the world. And I know it probably wasn't always like that. Tell us the story. How did you all get to where you are today? Oh, goodness. Well, you know, when you talk about ordinary people, I'm still an ordinary person. Um, thank you, Grant, for all the, the hype. But, you know, I think we're just people navigating this planet and our jobs and trying to do the best that we can every day. The compounding of time creates this unordinary result if you stick to it. And I think that's where people finally they feel like they've arrived and, and they're getting these accolades. And it's like, oh my God, they're so amazing. Not really. I, it was actually a very boring strategic career that just grew over 24 years. So going back, you know, I was uh, raised in a family that was just not very affluent. We were poor. And I always had this, this tape in my mind that um, as I became an adult, I didn't want to be poor. I wanted to, to make money. And I fell into real estate. Real estate found me through our real estate agent. My husband and I met at 16. And at 19, we were uh, we skipped out of college. We were in sales and we decided to buy our first house. And the ball just started rolling that way. So fast forward, the first seven years of my career were very uneventful, I would say. I was a good agent, you know, rookie of the year and you know, sold a decent amount of homes for the time. So 24 years ago. At 23 years old, selling 20 homes. That's a, a lot of homes, you know, back then. I was learning through tribal knowledge. I was learning by listening to people on the phone, by walking by offices. There was no formal training in real estate. So I would say that I was pretty average for the first seven years. And then the market tanked in 2006. It started to tank in Michigan. And by 2008, everybody had lost most of their business. So I went from making 150000 a year, which I thought I was rich in my family down to making $40,000. And I had a decision to make. And, you know, in everybody's life, if you look back, there's shifts. For me, it was when I met my husband, when I became a mom at 26 years old, and when I found my first real estate coach. And that was a huge shift in my life. And so um, by chance, you know, I was actually cleaning out my desk. I was going to leave the real estate business. I found a flyer from the Mike Ferry organization, and it said, earn a million dollars a year, take our coaching, yada, yada, yada. And I was like, this can't be real. Crumple, crumple, threw it away. Um, was on my email a few days later and I got come to the action workshop in Romulus, Michigan. If you want to meet top producers that are killing it in the business, come to this workshop. And it's funny because I was like, oh yeah, two days later, uh, you know, before I had thrown away a flyer and now here I'm getting this email. So I thought it was 
you know, just fate that I should be at whatever this Mike Ferry thing was. I ended up going and I met um, so many great agents and they were at the front of the room dressed really sharp is what I noticed. They were well-spoken. Um, they all had similar stories of starting out, but they all had similar stories of exploding when they discovered scripts, dialogue, role play, and a system. And I signed up right away and literally my income that next year with the coach went right back to 150. And then, then I got the, the guts to actually decide to build a blueprint for my life. And one of the things we wanted was to live in a warmer climate. And so we decided in 2009 to just pack up and move to sunny North Carolina and rebuild our business from scratch. So the last 15 years is when I truly built Call Group. And uh, here we are today with, with our team. So that's such an awesome story. I didn't, I didn't actually even know a couple of things that you talk about, but I do like a couple of really specific points that you made. And I think I want to go back to the beginning. You said it, it actually was a lot of, you know, seemingly boring actions that were really strategic. Can you elaborate on what, what you mean by that? Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of times I see it now with our newer agents that come into business, young and old and everything in between. It's like, they just want to be rock stars in the first year. They, they, they have this glamorous idea of what this business is. They, they have social media. They're watching influencers drive these shiny cars, showing mansions because nobody wants to see just the average, you know, thousand square foot, three bedroom, two bath home. <laughs> they all want to be luxury agents. And it's just this glorified, you know, reality. And it's not real. What's real is the grunt work, you know, every day. I got into my office at 7.30 in the morning, 7.30 to 8 was role play, 8 to 11. I was on the phones grinding it out, making you know, 15, 20 contacts a day, 11 to 12, checking email, 12 to 2, lunch and getting ready for appointments. 2 to 7 p.m., I was out there in the public going on one, two or three listing appointments, getting back exhausted and repeating the exact same thing the next day. It was not glamorous, but it was, it was a process. And I think that because of the process, and the regimen and the boring activities that I did day in and day out that were not sexy, that nobody wants to do, I could make millions of dollars a year. And um, thankfully, we invested it and we we had a plan very early on that we would buy rental properties and investments. And, and so I tell agents all the time, getting rich is boring. It's a decade long uh, task. You have to build in repetitious boredom. You have to do the the um, spend a lot of your time in income producing activities every day. So I bucketed out income producing, education, servicing, and so most of the agents like to spend their time in in, uh, in servicing and education. Um, servicing being number one, then education, like podcasts and stuff. So they listen to a lot of things, they learn a lot of things, but they never take the action to go build the business. So I think, you know, to me, it's not sexy. It's not glamorous, but what that, that 10, 15 year period got us to where, you know, we can earn millions of dollars every year. Now it's earned and it's deserved. And, um, and I think anybody could do it, but they've got to really look at a 10 year projection, not like, oh my God, I could do this. I could take what Tina did in 15 and do it in, in 24 months. It's just not going to happen because time is on my side. You look at any top producer, I don't care who they are, Carrie Shaw, Amy Weenans, anybody, Grant Cardone, for God's sakes. Grant Cardone used to be a used car salesman coach. He was a coach for my husband at a car dealership in Michigan. That's not the Grant you see today. The boots on the ground Grant, Grant was 
that's what built who he is. So, so that part, nobody, everybody's like, you know, glazes over, but they want a better answer and there just isn't one. So, you know, it, it takes time. It takes time and it's boring. <laughs> you do a really good job uh, at the organizational level of teaching other agents how to do this. Obviously you've built a very successful real estate team. Somebody listening to this today say, okay, Tina, I'm open. How do I re kind of like train the brain? How do I reprogram myself to fall in love with the process more than the outcome? Like you're kind of talking to me about doing now, how do you typically coach people through falling in love with the daily disciplines, just the small things that you've got to do over a long sustained period of time, instead of thinking, okay, I'm going to snap my fingers and in a year, I'm just going to be uber rich. How do you reprogram your agents to, to think the right way? Well, it's, it's not even reprogramming. It's sharing the information that works and finding the buy-in from the ones that are in it for the long haul. So, you know, like I have a lot of agents on my team that are 26 to 35 years old, let's say that's the majority. And so to me, it's like, what is your decade long plan? If they look at me and they're like a decade, I don't want to do that. And you go, well, what else are you planning on doing? Because I've been in the real estate game for 24 years. So it's really just, um, helping them put in the accountability in the beginning. That's what a coach does. They put in the accountabilities. If you don't do this, what happens? Where's the pain? So they have to lead to the pain. And most people's pain is money. They either don't have enough or they have a very scarcity mindset with it and they don't want to spend it. So for me, if I didn't show up at 7.30 on a role play call and I missed one of those calls, each one of my role play partners had a check for $1,000. If I miss three days that week, I'm they're cashing three grand of my money. I don't I couldn't afford to not, I couldn't afford to miss. And there were days where I did those checks were cashed because I messed up, I slept in. Oops, they there was no excuses. So I think it's them deciding that they want the life that they want. They know it's gonna take, you know, at least a minimum of a half a decade to to start that really, you know, um successful process. And then by year 10, my God, they should have a thriving, functional, amazing business where they could go teach somebody else. Are you saying that you would intentionally set it up so that you had like a penalty for not showing up? Yes. Yes. Okay. Let's talk about, let's talk about this for a second. The penalty was money. Yeah. Are you saying it's like you would actually write a check to somebody and they would cash it because you didn't show up and do what you said that you were going to do? Correct. Because I'm not responsible. I mean, I'm terrible. Like I'm squirrel, squirrel. You know, I'd rather do anything but follow a process. Everyone on my team laughs because they're like, <laughs> we had to build process. But when you think of the first seven years of my career, it was like this because I was letting the day happen to me. Oh gosh, I hope someone calls me today from the ether and they want to buy a house from me. I, like That's what most real estate agents do. They service, they do busy work. And then they hope that their efforts of having past client events or flyers, you know, all this outreach, they hope that the phone rings. Hope is not a plan. So for me, it was like, no, I'm going to call 15 people a day. I'm going to have conversations. I'm going to, I know, knew that every time I had 15 conversations, I got an appointment. That appointment led to a result that I needed. So every, for every five, six appointments, I got, you know, I landed 85% of that, those appointments, which led to a really great income. I mean, there were months that we were making 60, 70, $80,000 a month. And to me, that was more important than my comfort. I have a uh, Alex, he, he runs one of my companies and he always says, you know, we should definitely not try to buy back our comfort. And I think a lot of people 
they do that in unintentional ways. They try to buy back their comfort as opposed to living with the discomfort, being willing to be uncomfortable to get to where it is that you want to go. I don't usually get a lot of like likes from this, but I, I just think we live in a society that is too much into their feelings. Your feelings will screw you over often. If you wake up every single day and you just do things based on how you feel, you're kind of destined for a mediocre life. And you've got to recognize that we don't feel our way into action. We act our way into feeling. And that's discipline. Like that is just being disciplined enough to do what it is that you know that you need to do for a long, sustained period of time like you've done. And I think it's just such good advice. I'd always heard of people creating like... Uh, like these negative commitments, not negative commitments, but like these penalties, like, okay, I'm going to do the thing. And if I don't do it, I'm going to have to write you a check for a thousand dollars. I think it's brilliant because it like motivates you obviously to do what it is that you're supposed to do. And you have to pay the penalty no matter what. It's really hard when you wake up and you just start creating something out of nothing. And I think that's what a lot of people in real estate do. Uh, you're an entrepreneur, you're a business owner, nobody's holding you accountable. You've got to do it yourself. That's such a creative way to hold yourself accountable when nobody else is doing that. I love it. Partners that are willing to cash the check, because if you have accountability partners that are, they'll be like, oh, it's okay. You, there was traffic because excuses roll in. Oh my God, I, I, I overslept or I couldn't sleep last night or I had the sniffles. They have to hold you accountable. It has to hurt a couple of times. And then you learn your lesson. I like what you just said there that you said though, you said you have to have good accountability partners. They can't be weak. They can't be weak because they will, if you're friends or there's a relationship there, you can't give great feedback if you if you have a friendship and you're worried about hurting someone's feelings. I'm I'm a victim of that, you know, like, oh God, I can't give them feedback because I don't want to hurt their feelings, you know. Um, especially if somebody's more emotional than than maybe you are. I tend to gravitate towards being around men more because they're less emotional. And so all of my role play partners were men because for me, women, it was like, it got too chatty. It got too girlfriendly. And I'm like, no, like kick my ass and make sure I do a good job. You have such great self-awareness. Do you think that that is a trait that has really helped you in a, in a lot of ways? Yeah, I think it was, you know, just reflection of, I, I really tried to, to, to look at how did I grow up? What situations was I put in? I like to go from the top looking down. What situations did my parents put me in? Well, they were Greek and Italian. I had to call the phone company when the bills were were missed or whatever because they couldn't speak great English at times. Or, you know, I had to take care of my brother and, and always take him everywhere. And so I always had these adult responsibilities, you know. And so I think that it was reflection of that and then also learning about psychology and, and human behavior. And it was like, if you can't st study your own behavior, why do you do what you do? How do people tend to, you know, why do they gravitate you or shy away from being around you? And my self-awareness was sometimes I just blurt whatever was on my mind. And I'm like, this is not good. If people don't know me, they won't know that my heart is pure where I'm, I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm saying it because we're in a safe environment. Um, you know, so I had to really like pull back on things and, and understand how I was showing up. So it's still a work in progress, trust me. <laughs> Sales and marketing and advertising, which is obviously my lane, but then you couple that with like personal development. It is so much psychology. We all kind of become our like own like practical psychologists as we're in this pursuit yes. of 
you know, getting to the next level. It's so fascinating. So, okay. You said something again as well in your intro that stuck out to me. You said, when I finally had the guts to build a blueprint for my life, can you tell us what that means? The guts, it was like, you know, like to sit down and say, okay, this is what I want. Nobody taught us that we could just write our own chapters. Nobody taught us that we could build a blueprint and that that blueprint would potentially manifest. So I think that the first, I would say, 27 years of my life, if you think of myself as an airplane, I had no pilot. You know, I, I sort of opportunities came and maybe I was manifesting those opportunities, but they weren't intentional. And after I, I, my husband and I discovered more like manifestation and, you know, feeling your feelings and writing down your goals, it was like, oh man, we don't have to live here in Michigan where the wind hurts our face six months out of the year and there's no sunshine. We could just move. We're not a tree, you know? And so um, it was those little micro decisions that lead to the to the life that you want and so we moved and now we're in a beautiful environment that we want to be in we would say how much money do we want to make then feel that we already have it you know there were times i remember i bought a uh what was it? a jaguar a used jaguar when i moved to north carolina and we got down to the point where i had five thousand dollars in to our name and i felt like such a, a fool driving around in a jaguar when I had no money in the bank and I went and turned in that car because no matter how I perceived myself, I could still not feel that I was rich or I had money. And it's like, it was such conditioning that I had to go through. Um, thinking back to that moment, I should have just kept the damn car, like how silly, but I just couldn't, I was like, I'm a fake, I'm a fraud. I'm driving a really nice car and I can't afford my next, you know, payment on the house. So anyway, working through that was an interesting process, but I think a lot of people don't practice that. Don't practice saying, no, I deserve this. I, I am this, I have this, and I deserve it. And they all, I think most people suffer from a scarcity mindset and then lack of, um, they have a lot of imposter syndrome and they never get over it. And they never work through, I think you said it, like, um, you know, leading to discomfort, basically. They don't, they don't put themselves in situations where they can work through it. They just avoid it. You know, I get into conversations with people sometimes and they're like, well, you know, we're supposed to suffer and it's, it's all a different type of mindset. And they're like, you don't really, you don't really believe that. And I'm like, actually, I believe in suffering daily. I believe that, <laughs> I believe that we should actually build suffering into our daily life, but that we should control it. We shouldn't let suffering be a reaction to a life that we don't feel like we have any control over. No, we should take a cold shower, not because it's like a hip thing to do, but because you're programming suffering into your daily life. And when you program yourself with the understanding of how to deal with these different things, like taking a cold shower, I got to where I took a cold shower every single day for two years. And I was doing it intentionally to program myself to move through certain mental stuff that uh, I really needed to get to. It's intentional suffering. It's intentional discomfort. And I think that if you're listening to this, you would be blown away at how your life transforms when you start to build suffering and discomfort into your daily life. And it, it allows you to just move through so much. I just can't overstate how valuable I think it is and we look at, you know, kind of like what your story is like, why, well, you know, I just stopped looking at trying to do this in a day. And, you know, it's like, 
10 years from now, I'm going to be super successful. And, and here we are. <laughs> and, and you've done that. I like one of my, I think maybe my favorite quote from Eric Thomas. He says, you should be lucky that you didn't get what you said that you wanted because you're so immature, you wouldn't have been able to handle it. And for me, that's never been more true. <laughs> Has that been your experience over the last you know, 10 to 15 years? Yes, it's so true because um, it's like another quote, and we just heard it in our business planning. And it's something like, you know, you don't get what you want, you get who you are. And so people want, oh, I want to be a millionaire. I want, okay, but are you prepared for the responsibility, really? Because, you know, we sit down now with business planners, wealth planners, and it's like, we're making all these decisions. And it's not like, poor me now. It's like, there's still other things that you have to understand. And if you haven't been through it, you might make poor decisions based on the maturity level that you have or the responsibility that you have. Like one of my responsibilities, I always tell our company is, I have to make sure this company's profitable. Yes, that means I make money, but you can't work. You don't want to work for an unprofitable company. So number one on the P&L is we need to be profitable. And if you're an, a business owner that's too soft, your agents are always coming at you. I want this. I want this. I want. Okay. Yes, 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 yes. Because of the love that you have for people, you might put your own self out of business. That is unresponsible. That's not a responsible thing. So I think there has to be some level of discernment where you're like, okay, I have to put the company first, then the agent, the, the consumer, and make sure that we're, you know, everybody's whole. I definitely love uh, your sentiment on that. And I love that quote. So true. Talking about something being who you are, I've noticed that you've been making uh, quite a big push into the luxury space for the last bit of time. Talk to us about what you're doing in luxury real estate. Has that something that you've always focused and fixated on or is it is it a newer focus of yours? No. You know, the thing is, I almost, to be honest, Grant, I almost wish that I didn't start down that path because you've got a lot of agents now, even on our team, they're like, we're luxury, we're luxury. And all of a sudden there's this shift of, oh, well, we want to service only luxury clients. The reality is in every single market across the US, unless you're literally literally in the middle of New York, you're in the middle of Beverly Hills on Rodeo Drive, you're in the middle of Miami, you don't have a luxury market typically. And so to me, it was more about, we've always had a luxury brand. We've always had black and gold. It's always looked upscale. That's just the aesthetic that I like. It was more about I service luxury clientele because I've been in the game a long time. And so we can service them. We understand, you know, their lifestyle. We, we understand their expectation. We understand the level of service that they want. So it was sort of like a push to say we can absolutely entertain luxury clientele. But if we only focused on luxury clientele, we'd be broke. There's not enough deals to go around. So I think luxury to me is a state of mind. It's a mindset and it's an understanding, a communication between customer and expectation. And um, yes, there's going to be a higher level of service. But to me, I'm going to give luxury service in all price ranges. So whether your home is 250000 or $2.5 million, the customer gets treated the same. There might be a few extra expectations at that $2.5, 3000000 million, $4 million level but at the end of the day, somebody's home is their their castle. So I wish I wouldn't have even like the luxury, you know, putting putting myself on the luxury, uh, you know, council at EXP and all that. I love luxury. And I think some agents have to do their, their market is just luxury. But for most of us in the U.S., it's a mindset and and a way to say I can service this demographic. I understand it. I love it. I think it's also such a great a great reminder 
is that you you build a business and you establish a foundation. And a lot of people, it's really natural to start trying to elevate the price points that you work in. But that foundation is so critical. You know, the number one thing that I think most business owners struggle with is understanding how to get customers. And then it's understanding how to operationalize the act of getting customers. And what ends up happening in so many organizations is they build this great base of business and then they start to wander to the next thing without creating systems, processes, people around what really built them. And then that business ends up suffering and they don't end up getting the lift on the new thing that they wanted because they become distracted by, why is this thing not working anymore? So I think it's just a great reminder to you know, build a business focused on your core things that that really can help make you successful, create stability and consistency over a long sustained period of time and build systems around those things to a point where it's almost like they don't even need you. Like you, do, you wouldn't have to show up to work and these things would still continue to happen. And it's when you do those things, it's then that you can really truly go focus on adding other divisions to your companies. I think it's a great reminder because you're talking about maybe I, maybe I should have, maybe I shouldn't have done that. But if you're listening to this as an agent, you go out there with intense focus. If you want to go from ordinary to extraordinary and you know, following Tina's advice, find the thing that works and then just commit to doing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's a boring process, but boring works, simple, scalable. And it's the, the little things that you do over a long sustained period of time that will end up making you one of the most successful people in the industry, which Tina is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful example of that. So yeah, I thank you so much for coming in today. Wrapping up, I think I just got one more question. If I'm listening to this, I'm like, all right, Tina, I'm bought into the mindset. I'm going to go white belt mentality, just do the boring stuff, do it well. Give me step one. If I want to go from ordinary to extraordinary, just tactically speaking, what should I do today that could really help set me up for the next 10 years? I would say that the first tactical step is, is really self-reflection of Am I willing to do the hard things? Because if you're in the real estate game and you're you're avoiding the pain, you're avoiding getting on the phones every day, you're avoiding becoming masterful in your scripts and your dialogue and your commitment to, to failing forward and being uncomfortable, that's the first step. Am I committed to being uncomfortable every single day? So I want them to get in their office and literally have the minimum five conversations a day. Five times five is 25. 25 a week, 25 times 52 is 1300 conversations. If they landed 10% of those, it would be 130 transactions, but they won't land 10%. They'll land 3% maybe, which is about 37 transactions times 10 grand, which is, you know, five to 10 grand is the average, let's say around the US. That could be anywhere from 150,000 to $350,000 of income. That is a lot of money. And so, but they won't make the commitment for consistency to talk to those five people a day, to become masterful, to, to really learn their scripts and dialogue, practice them, record them, you know, put a mirror in front of their, their, their desk and, and smile and, and just learn the sales, fall in love with sales. And everybody goes to, well, relationships and I love people and I just want to go show houses. Yes, but learn to be a killer on the phones and a ninja in front of people with your words. And that's really the first focus for them is consistency, script, dialogue, and daily practice to become really comfortable in their own skin. 
I love it. It's one of the, I think, most important things that you can do. I've invested well, 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 well over six figures in my sales education. It's one of the single greatest skill sets. And you combine that with marketing and advertising and these other things, it, it really can make you lethal in business in a good way so that you can do what it is that you ultimately want to do, which is have relationships, show houses, help people achieve the American dream. So wonderful advice. Tina, I appreciate you so much. Grateful to have you as a friend. Grateful to have been able to work inside of your organization. And I, I just can't thank you enough for spending your time here with everybody that's listening to the show. I appreciate you. Thanks, Grant. You're awesome. Thanks for having me. Bye, guys. All right, guys. Thank you so much for continuing to watch The Grant Wise Show. I hope you got a ton of notes out of today's podcast interview. Now it's time to go take some massive, massive action. We'll see you on the next one. Peace. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Grant Wise Show. Please don't forget to subscribe to this channel, leave us a review, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks.